God wants to help us develop certain qualities that benefit us greatly on our life journey. Today, we'll be looking at one of these qualities, the quality of faith. This message is the first in the series, Road Trip. The message is entitled, Faith. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We start a new series of messages for the summer called Road Trip. We're going to talk about some of the things that you need to pack with you on your journey of life. All of us are on a journey. You're living a life, and that life is a journey. It's a process of living. For some of us, that life might be 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. We don't know how long our life journey will be. For some, it may be shorter, but we're all on a trip. We're taking a journey in life, and it's very important when you take a trip, you have the right stuff with you. If you've ever gone on vacation before or gone somewhere on a trip, and you looked into your luggage, and you left something at home that you really needed, and it provides just a little moment of crisis for you because you're, you're looking for the thing that is a necessity for your life. And there are certain things in this life journey, no matter how long your life journey is, that you need to pack with you, very important spiritual elements for your life. And today, I'm going to talk about the first and foremost of those. You need to pack into your life something called faith. And for the next few moments, I want to talk to you about four things you need to understand about faith what it's all about, how it works in our lives, and how we can grow in our faith in God. The first thing that you must understand from Scripture is that faith actually is not optional. Faith is a necessity. Faith is something that everybody needs. Your life operates best when you're living a life based in faith. In fact, I've learned over the years that it's absolutely impossible to build anything solid. It's absolutely impossible, really, to do much of anything in your life without some level of faith a level of belief, a level of trust, a level of confidence in that what you're about to do, a sense that, yes, this is going to work out well. Yes, I can approach this with a new perspective. Whatever it might be, faith is required. And according to the Bible, all of us are called to develop a spiritual dimension of faith toward God. We need to have this faith that grows in us and develops over a period of time. And there's an Old Testament story I want to draw your attention to that describes this process of beginning to grab hold of, develop faith. I'll give you a background of the story. Again, Second Chronicles chapter 20. And the major, major character in the story is a king by the name of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat is the king of this small portion of Israel called Judah, two tribes of Judah called the Southern Kingdom. And at this particular time, there were some folks that had come against the southern kingdom, the Amalekites, the Ammonites, and some other groups of people that had gathered against Judah to attack them. And Jehoshaphat receives the news that this little small nation of Judah is about to be attacked by this vast army. Now, if you can imagine thinking about being in that vulnerable of position, you've got a vast army, groups of people, soldiers coming against you. You don't have the military resources to respond. You know that you're in really big trouble. You're perhaps going to be surrounded by all of these enemies. And so you have to have some level of strategy. What am I going to do as the leader of my people? How will I respond to protect my nation? And Jehoshaphat had no idea of what to do except for one thing, and he did the right thing. The Bible said he called upon God. He called all of Judah together and said, we, we've got to have a prayer meeting. We've got to get a hold of God. We need to know what God's strategy is because if we don't handle it God's way, we're going to sink. We're going to be done with. We're in big trouble. We need 
God. And so they called a prayer meeting and they got a hold of God and God spoke to them in a very real way through a prophet in their midst and God gave them instruction and told them, look, you just be still, I'm going to fight the battle for you. Isn't it wonderful to know that when you're surrounded by enemies that are too big for you that God knows how to fight battles for you. Amen. He knows how to fight the war that you can't fight. And so God spoke to the people of Judah, to Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat begins to echo these words back to the people in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse number 20, the latter part of this verse. Listen to what he said to the people of Judah. Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God. Would you say that phrase with me? Have faith in the Lord your God. Once again, have faith in the Lord your God. Notice now what the consequence of that faith will be. And you will be upheld. Have faith in His prophets and you will be, what's the next word there? Successful. Or another translation says you will prosper. King Jehoshaphat, having heard God's word, now says to the people, now is the time for you to make a choice. Make the choice now to move away from fear to a place of faith because they had been living in fear, wondering how they would handle the circumstance and the situation. But now God has spoken, and Jehoshaphat echoes those words and says, let's move away from fear. Let's grab hold of faith. Have faith in the Lord your God because if you will have faith in the Lord your God, you will be upheld and you will be successful. Successful. I love those two consequences of faith. You'll be upheld. I've discovered something in my own life and continue to discover it. When you take hold of faith, faith, faith takes hold of you. When you hold on to faith, faith holds on to you. And there in that moment, God said, if you will take hold of faith in me, I will hold you up and I will allow you to be successful. Now, that word successful, we have to define it from a biblical standpoint. Success biblically is not about how much money you have or the title that you carry or the kind of clothes you wear or the car you drive or the house you live in. Nothing wrong with any of those things, but that's not how the Bible defines success. The Bible defines success when we're walking in the will of God, the purposes of God, fulfilling His design for our lives and seeing the victory that He's described and planned for us. That's what success is all about. That's when God says you'll be successful, He says you will triumph over your enemies. You will prosper in this set of circumstances. So today God comes to each one of us and says to us today, and I hope you'll hear the word of the Lord echoing in your heart today, have faith in God. Have faith in God. And if you will have faith in God, you too will be upheld and you too will be successful. You'll find victory over your enemies. Now, here's the challenge for us. When I hear that phrase, have faith in God, I'm encouraged by that, and I want to have faith in God, but I also have to face the reality that my faith is not always as strong as I want it to be. How about you? Anybody with me on this? Okay. Sometimes fear gets the better part of me rather than faith, right? Any, anybody with me on this? Okay. I want to live in faith, but sometimes I actually find myself living in fear rather than in faith. Anybody with me today? Just shake your head, okay? All you folks in Frederick, you can shake in your head up there as well, okay? So we have to understand how do we move from fear to faith and how do we grow in this process? And I find it encouraging in the Bible that God doesn't expect you to have great faith overnight. Isn't that wonderful to know? That you don't all of a sudden have to become this mighty mountain of faith, but there's a growth process that if you're not quite there yet, it's okay as long as you're moving in the right direction. 
as long as you're going in the direction of learning how to be a better person, a stronger person of your faith. And let me take you to an illustration found in Matthew chapter 14. I'll begin in verse number 22. This is a story of the 12 people that were the closest with Jesus. Now think about that with, with me for a moment. These are 12 apostles, 12 disciples, and they were hanging around Jesus all the time. If anyone should have had faith, these folks should have had it, right? right? Why? Because they're seeing Jesus raise the dead, heal the sick, multiply five loaves and two fishes. They're seeing miracles all the time. And so if anyone should have been believing, these 12 should have been really advanced in their faith, correct? They're seeing all this stuff up close and personal. But notice this story. It's a story that really encourages me, and I hope it will encourage you as well. Immediately Jesus made the disciples, that's the 12 apostles, get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, that's the other side of the Sea of Galilee, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat, that is the boat the disciples were in, was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted, notice that, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So Jesus has been, he sent his disciples ahead. He went up on a mountainside to pray, right? The disciples are out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and they're facing a storm. The winds are buffeting them. They're facing this terrible set of circumstances, and they're fighting against it. The wind was against it. Shortly before, this is verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Everybody say, wow. That's a wow moment, okay? Have you ever done that? Stop for a moment and think about it. Jesus, he didn't swim to them. He walked to them. He took a stroll on the top of the Sea of Galilee. And you must remember that it was not just a placid sea at this point. The Bible has already told us what was happening in the Sea of Galilee at this time. There was a storm that was brewing. And so Jesus is walking on top of the storm. Man, that will preach right there, okay? There's a lot of truth. There's another message right there for you someday that Jesus was walking on the top of the storm. He was handling the circumstance. He was not bothering him. See, the things that bother you don't bother Jesus. The things that frighten you do not frighten him. That's important when you're going through a difficult time. If you find yourself afraid, remember the things frightening you never frighten God. And so here is Jesus triumphing over the storm already. He is walking on top of the water. And the Bible says in verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were filled with praise and worshiped Jesus. Is that what it says they did? No, it says that they were terrified. He's a ghost. They said, and cried out, what's the phrase say, in... Now, they've just come away from a miracle, okay? They've seen Jesus feed 5,000-plus people with five loaves and two fish. I mean, they've had a major faith moment in their life, and now they're in the midst of a storm, and Jesus is walking to them on the water, and instead of responding in faith, they don't even recognize him. They don't even see who he is, and they're now responding with terror, with fear. They're crying out in fear, but Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Aren't you glad those words are in the Bible? Don't be afraid. Now notice what happens next. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Peter was always opening his mouth. And so he could not restrain himself there at the moment. And so he says in the midst of the boat, Jesus, if that's you, would you just invite me to come? I'm sure that Peter never Imagine what would happen next. Jesus said, come. 
Now, I'm also imagining that Peter would have said, I wonder if that was a good thing to do, okay? But the Bible says that Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was, what's the word again? Afraid and began to sink. Beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. What I want you to notice here in this passage is the juxtaposition, the alignment of two things, fear and faith, fear and faith, fear and faith. And the natural battle that we have all of our lives and we have to grow and to overcome is this constant battle between fear and faith. If the disciples faced it, we're going to face it. If the disciples had to grow in their faith, we have to grow in our faith as well. So remember today that faith is not optional. Faith is something that God calls you to have. He calls you to grow in. Get it. Get faith. Have faith in the Lord your God and grow your faith in God. Number two, the second thing, faith. What is it? It's confidence in God. I need to define what faith is. So when I say have faith in God, it's important that we understand, well, what, what is faith anyway? Well, faith is literally, according to the Bible, it's, it's confidence in God. That's, that's really basically all it is. Hebrews 11 verse 1 describes, really, that gives us the definition of faith. To have faith, he's going to tell us what it is. To have faith is this. It's to be sure of the things we hope for, to be certain of the things we cannot see. And so the writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, Time out, I want to give you the definition of faith. Because, in fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, it's the chapter of faith. The whole chapter is all about faith, okay? He says, before I go into all these stories of faith, let me tell you what faith is. To have faith is to be sure of the things we hope for, is to be certain of the things that we cannot see. And so faith begins with hope, but it's more than hope. It's a certainty that what you hope for, you already have. Let me say that again. Faith starts out as hope, but it's more than hope. It's a hope that says, I am sure that what I'm hoping for, I actually already have it, even though I haven't yet seen it. It hasn't become real in my life in terms of manifestation, but it's already mine because my faith has laid hold of what I'm hoping for. I'll give you this example. I have eternal life. I know that I have eternal life because Jesus very clearly said, I am the way, the truth, and life. Any man that comes to the Father comes to him by me. And the Scripture says that God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So I made the decision one day to give my life to Jesus, to invite Him to be Savior and Lord of my life. And I accepted Christ. And that day I received eternal life. Now, am I living in eternal life right now? No, I'm still living in this natural life but do I have eternal life? I already have it. It is already mine. Why? Because by faith, I've laid hold of that which I've not yet fully experienced, but I don't have to worry about experiencing it because I already have it. See, that's what faith is. Faith reaches into the promises of God and to the Word of God and says, you know, that's what God says. And because God says it, that's my hope, but it's more than my hope. It now is a reality in my life, and I lay hold of it, I hold to it, and now it's mine even though I haven't seen it yet. That's why you can walk through difficult times with faith as though you're already on the other side even though you're not on the other side yet. Do you follow what I'm saying there? 
You're still in the trial, but you're living in the victory that's beyond the trial because your faith has taken you beyond that trial, even though you're not quite there yet in the manifest. That's why the Scripture says in Psalm chapter 23, 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and staff comfort me. That is, the psalmist said, I'm able to get through this wilderness, this valley of the shadow of death, because I already know the reality of my faith is that you are with me. And so that's what faith is. Faith is confidence in God. It's confidence not in what God does for you. It's confidence in who God is. It's very important to grasp because there's a lot of people that will put confidence only in what God can do for them. But real faith is in confidence in who God is to you, who He is in terms of His nature and character. And so let me share with you very quickly five key words that you must have confidence in related to God. First of all, you must have confidence in God's nature. That's what faith is. Faith says, I know what I believe about God's nature. Let me tell you some things about God's nature quickly. God's nature is He's love. God's nature is that He is good. There's never a time that God ceases to be good. God is good all the time. God's nature is that He is righteous. There is no unholiness in God at all. God is purely right. He is holy. There's not, there's not one thing wrong. There's no darkness in God. Okay? This is His nature. God is just. Even in the midst of the injustices that we see, God is a just God. And so when you and I approach God, we start with this faith of saying, God, I, know, I have confidence in your nature. I know that you are love. I know that you are good. I know that you are righteous and holy. I know that you are just. I know this about you. So when I approach you, I don't have to concern myself with determining who you are. I already know who you are by the nature you've revealed to us. You are good good, you are love, you are righteous, and you are just. Second of all, confidence we must have if we're going to have real faith must be in God's Word, God's nature and God's Word. How does God reveal Himself to you and me? God reveals His will to you and me primarily through His Word. If you want to know what the will of God is for your life, you must know the Word of God. That's how you find instruction. God shows you how to live. He tells you what is right and what is wrong. He tells you what is important and what is not important. He tells you the principles that will guide you to the best kind of life by getting into this book. And so you and I, if we're going to have confidence in God, faith in God, we believe in His nature, but His nature is revealed to us in His Word. This is the revelation of God to us. How do you know God? By knowing what He says. How do you get to know a person? By getting to know what they say. And so when you get to know God's Word, you're getting to know God. Number three, you have confidence in God's integrity. To know that God is a God of integrity. He does not lead us astray. He does not lead us on. He does. He always, listen today, He always, God always does what He says He will do. God is not a liar. Men, people will lie. But the Bible says that God is not a liar. He can be relied on in terms of His integrity. And you must have a commitment to believe in the fact that God will always give me the right direction, the right truth. Whatever He says is right is right because of His integrity. Number four, we must believe in God's ability. 
This is confidence. This is what faith is. Faith is having confidence in God's nature, confidence in God's word, confidence in God's integrity, confidence in God's ability. What do we mean by that? We know and believe and have confidence that God is able to do all things. We have confidence that nothing is too hard for God. We have confidence that says nothing is impossible with God. Dear ones, understand today that our God is a God who is able to do all things. The only thing that we we we, we, we recognize that God is not able to do is He's not able to go against His nature or character. Those are the limitations that He places upon Himself because He says, I will always be loving, I will always be good, I will always be righteous, and I always will be just. But in the context of that, there is nothing impossible to me. So whatever you're facing today, you believe that God is able, but there's a fifth thing you must believe as well and have confidence in. That's God's availability. He's not only able, but He's available. See, there are folks that might be able to help you at times, but they're just not available. They're not willing. But the great thing about God is that God's available to work for us. He's present. He's personal in nature. And listen, faith is of no real value to you until it becomes personal. Did you hear what I just said? You can't live off of somebody else's faith. You might be carried along like a, like a race car that will draft behind another race car for a period of time. It can do that for a period. You, you may be able, be able to draft off of the faith of somebody else for a period of time, but at some point in time you have to develop faith for yourself. It has to become very real in your own life, and you must believe that God is available for you. The third thing we must understand about faith is that faith changes the way we think and the way we live. Faith changes the way we think. It changes the way we live. The second word there is extremely important. It changes you. If you have real faith, you will not stay the same. And faith is designed to change you and me because we need to be changed. You know that? Did you know you needed to be changed? We all do because the Bible says that we're born into this world as sinners, every one of us. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not a single person in here that is not a sinner. All of us are born in this world as sinners. And because we have a bent toward doing evil, and our bent toward doing evil is manifest in different ways. Uh, different folks have different challenges when it comes to the sinful dimensions of life. But sin is anything that is contrary to God's word and contrary to God's will. And so all of us have a bent to do what is wrong rather than doing what is right. And so part of what faith will do for you is when you lay your, put your faith in God and those things we just talked about uh, in, in relationship to God and certainly in His Son, Jesus Christ, there are changes that happen in your life. You do not stay the same. If I talk to a person and they say that they have faith but they're life has never changed, I always challenge them to go and check out their faith because real change always, real faith always changes your life in some manner. That's why Paul could very confidently say, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Why? Because faith changes you. And I want to share with you some of the ways that faith will change your life, changing the way you think and the way that you live. And so I'm going to invite all of us together, both in Frederick and in Gaithersburg, if you will. Let's read these 10 benefits of faith. How does faith change your life? Are you ready? Here we go. 
Faith challenges, first of all, our status quo. You know, the natural tendency of your life and my life is toward the routine, toward restrictions, and toward ruts. And when God begins to move in your life with faith, He begins to challenge the status quo of your life. He calls you to more. He calls you to the possibilities and potentials that have been untapped in your life. Second of all, faith, read with me, faith enables us to overcome insecurity and fear. Notice the statement there, it enables us, what's the next word, to overcome. Circle that on your notes, to overcome. What I want you to know today is that all throughout your life, you're going to face battles with insecurity and fear. Those two enemies will be around your entire existence. They are never going to go away. If you think that one day that you'll never have to deal with insecurity or fear, that's called heaven, okay? But as long as we're here on this earth, we're going to battle with insecurity and fear. These are like monsters that show up at your house and try to get in. But here's the good news. You don't have to let them in. And that's why faith is so important because faith changes you from an insecure, fearful person to a person that's able to move beyond that fear because I will tell you that faith is stronger than fear. Just like an airplane trying to take off, the airplane is controlled initially by gravity, but there's something that overtakes the law of gravity called the law of aerodynamics. And when the law of aerodynamics sets in with the airplane, this big, massive machine, this weighty machine, actually lifts up from the ground and flies in the air 35, 37, 40,000 feet in the air. How? Because aerodynamics is stronger than gravity there at that moment. What you must understand about faith is that faith helps you to rise above your fears and rise above your insecurities. Does fear and insecurity go away? No. Does the law of gravity go away just because an airplane flies? No. The gravity is still there. But the reality is there's something that overcomes. And I want you to know today that through faith in God, you can overcome the insecurities and fears of your life. Number, number three, faith changes our Outlook. Your outlook on life needs to change. It can, faith can transform you from a negative person into a positive person. There's some of you here today that you need a massive transformation of your personality. Because how you live life right now, you always are looking through the negative lens. And that's how you see life from a negative perspective. Instead of seeing plenty, you see scarcity. Instead of seeing prosperity, you're giving into poverty. Instead of moving toward victory, you're always kind of dealing with failure. And God says, what I want to do in your life is I want to help you to gain this perspective of faith. I want to make you a true optimist rather than a pessimist. But not just in a personality transformation, but in a transformation of your heart that Faith would find its way deep into your heart, and it changes your outlook on life. There's a great story in the sequence of events that lead up to the children of Israel occupying the promised land, and Moses, before he died, he's about to lead them into the promised land, or at least Joshua is going to lead them in, but before he dies, he sends 12 spies into the promised land to check it out, to come back and give a report to the people as to what the land looks like. And hopefully give an encouraging report so that they would all be excited about going in and occupying the promised land. They've been wandering for, for 40 years in a wilderness. And the 12 spies go in and they come back. And Moses said, well, how was it? How, how was the promised land? Give us a report. And 10 of the spies said, well, yes, yeah, it's beautiful. What's amazing. It's incredible. You should see the fruit over there. It's absolutely, it's, I mean, the grapes are like this. But we can't go in. 
What do you mean we can't go in? Such a beautiful land. Why would you not want to go? Well, there are giants there. There's just some giants there, and so we, we can't do this. It's impossible for us to actually take this promised land. And so ten of these folks were not operating in faith, but two of them were. Joshua and Caleb in the midst of these ten saying we can't do it. Joshua and Caleb said, well, yes, yes, we can because God is going to be with us. And those giants are nothing to God. God is well able to handle the giants. And so here's what you must understand. I'm going to preach another message another time about this. But what you must understand is that those ten guys who said we can't, those ten guys who had the impossibility mentality, they died in the wilderness. But Joshua and Caleb who said, yes, we can with God, all things are possible, they made it into the promised land. Why? Because they had faith. It changed their outlook. Number four, faith motivates us to obey who? God. When we have faith, you're willing to obey God because faith says, I'll do it God's way even when I don't understand it. I may not understand why God says this is right or why God says this is wrong. It may not make sense to me and it does, doesn't have to make sense to me, but if God says it, I'm going to believe it because God is a God of integrity, and so I'm going to live this out in my life, even at the times I don't understand it. It changes the way you live your life. Number five, read with me. Faith gives us internal fortitude. What will keep you going when you're tired? What keeps you going when you're distressed? What, what enables you to continue to fight when you don't want to fight anymore? I'll tell you what keeps you going is faith. Faith says, I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. Paul said when he came to the end of his life, he said, I fought the good fight. I kept the faith. Faith gives you the ability to be patient and persistent. And by the way, some good things only come to people who persist. Persistence is a valuable thing, and it goes along with faith. Jonas Salk, Dr. Jonas Salk, who was the one that eventually brought about the vaccine for polio. It's interesting that in his research... He tried over 200 times to find this vaccine before he succeeded, over 200 efforts that were unsuccessful. But once past that, he persisted. There was something of, of a drive inside of him that kept him going to say, you know what, this is possible. There's an answer to this horrible disease. Aren't you glad that Dr. Salt kept going? Amen? Okay. And think about it in your life. What kind of things may you quit on that God says don't quit yet because there's a breakthrough just beyond that level of perseverance. And faith is what will keep you going. Number six, read with me. Faith connects us to God's promises and power. We've talked about that. Number seven, faith transforms our perspective. We talked a bit about that one already. Number, number eight, faith helps us to do what? Help others. Let me tell you something. If you want to be a helper to others, you better have some faith inside of you. You ever tried to get some help from somebody who didn't have faith? You go to them, you start sharing your problems with them. Oh, life is really tough right now. It's really challenging. I'm having some tough time. And they're listening to you. And you're waiting for them to respond. And they look at you and say, well, yeah, it really is tough. It is pretty bad. Okay? Yeah. I'm not sure you're going to make it. Okay? If I was you, I'd just quit. Okay? And what you did is your fear linked up with somebody else's fear okay? and drove you further into a pit. Anybody ever had conversations like that before? Okay. And so what happens is, is that if you want to minister to other people, if you want to be a helper to other people, you have to have faith because you can't help someone out of fear. If you're living in fear, what are you going to give to other people? Fear, okay? You can only give what you have. This is important. You can only impart what you are. That's why Peter and John, when they went to the temple, read about it in Acts chapter, chapter 3. They were on the, on the way to the temple at 3 o'clock in the afternoon to pray, the Bible says. And, and they see this lame man by the gate who's begging for money. 
And the, and the guy's looking up at Peter and John for some money. And do you remember what Peter said? He said, silver and gold we don't have. But what we have we give in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. Now, what was Peter giving to that man in that moment? Well, obviously, Peter was giving Jesus, but he was also giving faith to that man. He was taking out of his resource of faith and imparting faith to him. And dear ones, I hope you'll listen to me this morning. Please listen to this. You must get this. So valuable. God has called every one of you to be a helper to other people. You're called to be a minister of God to other people. Do you know that? When God brought you into his kingdom and he saved you, he didn't save you just to get you to heaven. That's wonderful. And thank God we're going to heaven when we know Christ. But he saved you for a purpose. He saved you for a reason. He wants to use you. And when he brought you into his kingdom, he called you into the ministry. You are a minister. You may not be a very good one, but you are one, okay? okay. Every person here is called into the ministry. In fact, why don't you introduce yourself to someone beside you and say, Hi, my name is Minister. Just tell them whatever your name is, okay? Okay? You're a representative of Jesus, aren't you? Now, have you ever noticed that, that, that when Jesus went around ministering to people, he didn't minister fear, did he? What did he minister to people? Faith. He ministered faith. He ministered encouragement to people. He lifted people up. If they were lame, he brought healing. Whatever it was, he, out of his, his life came life. And so if you're going to help somebody else, you've got to have faith inside of you. And so that's one of the qualifying factors of being a person effective in ministry. Number 10, uh, actually number 9, faith prompts us to pray. You don't ever pray effectively unless you have some faith working inside of you. Number 10, faith encourages us. Read with me to encourage us when, when we have to do what? When we have to wait. Sometimes you just have to wait. Faith keeps you encouraged. But faith changes the way you think and the way you live. Let me go to my final point together. Can I have three extra minutes today? Thank you. I'll take five. Okay. <laughs> Number four, faith is growable. What do you do if your faith is weak? What if you look at your life right now and say, you know, I, I wish I had more faith, but I'm just not there yet. How do you grow your faith? Or Maybe you've come along in your journey of faith, but you want to get stronger in faith. How do you grow it? Because, by the way, none of us ever arrive at being full of faith. We're all in a journey. We may be at different points in that journey, but all of us need to grow in our faith. So I want to give you today, as we wrap up, four very simple things that you can do in your life that will increase your faith starting today. If you want to have more faith in your life, do these four things. Practice them consistently, and I assure you, your faith will grow. Number one, decide to be a person of faith. I want to challenge every person here today and Frederick today that right now that you will make a decision in you to say, I am deciding today, July the 13th, 2014, I am deciding today I will choose for the rest of my life to be a person of faith. I will not be a person of fear. Now notice this, doesn't mean that fear won't show up in your life or insecurity won't show up in your life, but you're making a choice today that your orientation, you're going to always press yourself toward faith. You're going to always press yourself away from fear and insecurity toward faith. Now will fear and insecurity get you at times? Of course it will. You're human, but your, your orientation is to go toward faith. In fact, uh, I want you to say with me this morning, I choose to be a person of faith. If you, if, you, if you want to say that, you don't have to say it if you don't want to say it. But if you want to say that with me today, say it with me. I want to say it. I choose to be a person of faith. Now you say, well, how can you choose to be a person of faith? Well, it's a choice, okay? 
when something comes your way, you choose fear or you choose faith, right? That's why Jehoshaphat could say, have faith in the Lord your God. Choose faith, okay? That's why Jesus could say to Peter and the disciples, oh, you have little faith as you need to develop your faith. And so today, they make a decision. I am choosing this day that my direction in life will always be pushing toward faith. I'm going to move away from fear and security toward faith. Number two, invest in your faith development. Invest in your own faith development. There will be little or no faith in your faith account unless you, in, unless you deposit it there. You've got to put something in for something to come out. You've got to build up your faith account on the inside. You say, well, how do I build up my faith account? Romans 10, 17 tells us, so faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. Faith comes by hearing the word of the Lord, that when you hear God's word, faith begins to grow inside of you. Dear ones, today, right now, as you're here in this place, as I'm preaching this message to you, as I'm teaching you God's word this morning, God, by his Holy Spirit, is doing something in your life right now. God is imparting faith to you. Your faith level is higher now than it was when you walked through the door earlier today. Why? Because the Word of God is coming to you. That's why you need to be in the house of God regularly because this is faith food. This builds you up. No matter what you're studying from the Bible, corporately or individually, it is building you on the inside. It is faith food. That's why you need to be in your Bible every day, not because it's some rigorous discipline that you have to do just to make God happy. No, it's not about that. It's about food that you take into your life to make your faith strong because I will tell you, something will come your way every day that will test you your faith. Something will come your way every day that will challenge you toward fear and insecurity rather than toward faith. When you go back to the Word, when the Word has fed you and nurtured you, you have something on the inside of a deposit to bring out of you in whatever circumstance you might find yourself in. And so invest in your faith life. Don't expect somebody else to make the investments for you. You've got to make investments. Let me tell you, if you want a retirement, you've got to invest in your retirement, right? Chances are nobody else is going to invest in it for you, okay? The same is true in your faith life. You've got to make some choices. I'm going to invest in something that is really valuable to me, and faith is valuable to me, and so I'm going to invest in my faith life so it gets stronger so that when something comes my way, I have something in me that can come out of me. Number three, third thing, expose yourself to the right influences. There are influences that you can allow yourself to be around that will build your faith and influences that will undermine your faith. You need to put yourself in a supportive faith-building environment. And you need to be that to other people. I'll tell you how some people, some people are like uh, fear cannons, okay? You get around them and hang around them. They just like, they don't, they don't subtly drain your faith. They just blast it away. <laughs> Boom! You know, they have the ability, capacity just to say the wrong thing at the wrong time, just to completely discourage you. Anybody know somebody like that? And don't punch the person beside you, okay? That's not them, okay? They just blast your faith away. But let me tell you what, what is more uh, common, or what I would call the pinprick fear people. They don't blast you, but you get around them, they just poke a little hole in your faith. They just plant a little doubt in you here and there, just... And what happens in your faith balloon is just a, little begins to, just a little bit of that faith begins to seep out. Let me tell you something. Be careful with the people you hang out with. 
Be careful with the environment that you surround yourself with. You need an environment that is pumping up your faith, that is putting more air in the balloon rather than draining from it. Why? Because God wants you to be full of faith so you can go into the world around you and minister faith and encouragement to people that need it, okay? I'm not saying that you can't be around people that are in fear or dealing with, uh, with, with negative things. That are. I'm saying that when you find yourself in that circumstance, you ought to be a minister there. You come in with something to give rather than trying to get something out of those environments. So you fill yourself up so that you can give yourself out to the people who are in need. Again, as we talked about a moment ago, being ministers of God, ministers of faith to others. The last thing here, if you want your faith to grow, you have to use it so you don't lose it. Would you say with me, use it? No muscle grows without exercise, does it? All of us have started the proverbial workout routine, haven't we? I'm going to get in shape. How many times have you said that? And so you get a gym membership or you buy a treadmill or you do something that says, I, I'm going to get in shape. I'm making a commitment. I'm going to get in shape. And the first day you go work out, and man, you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. And you work for like 45 minutes, an hour. You're just like going, well, yeah, I'm going to get this. I'm really with this. The next day it's like, 44 minutes, and the next day it's like 35 minutes, and the next day it's like, I'm not going today, okay? Because what happens is this. There's something when you try to get in shape. Listen closely. There's something when you try to get in shape, having been out of shape, what happens is your muscles have atrophy. And so, because your muscles are, don't, are facing the resistance of the training, they're atrophied, and so they're not responding well. They're not happy about this, okay? Hey, I've been sleeping for a long time. Leave me alone, okay? And now your muscles are crying out, and they're making this demand on you to say, leave me alone. I've been fine all along. Don't bother me anymore. I've been in an atrophied condition, Okay? And it's only by pressing through that pain and using those muscles and continuing to move past the inertia and the lack of momentum that the muscles begin to develop and grow and you begin to get healthier in your body and the workout becomes something less of a, of a problem for you to do. And so I want you to see this in your faith as well, that getting your faith started momentum-wise can be challenging, but you have to start somewhere, start using your faith. See, faith is not something that you can learn just by studying a book. There's some things you cannot learn by correspondence course. You can't learn how to swim by correspondence course. I'm going to learn how to swim on the internet. Well, good luck. I hope that works out for you, okay? I mean, at some point in time, somebody's got to throw you into the pool, okay? Because you can't learn how to swim on the internet, okay? Simulated swimming, virtual swimming, okay? No, at some point in time, you actually have to do something. You have to get in the water. And the same is true with your faith. At some point in time, you've got to use it. Well, so, well how, how do I start using my faith? It's not that complex, really. The next time the Holy Spirit prompts inside of you for you to share your faith, share your experience with Jesus, with somebody else, what do you do? Faith says, I'm going to step out of my fear, and I'm going to say to them, Let me t can I tell you my story about Jesus? Now, for many of us, that's a, a very, very challenging thing to do. We don't like sharing. We are afraid they're going to reject us or think that we're silly or, or, or strange. Or maybe it's just even to invite someone to come to church with you. But you step out of your comfort zone and out of your fear. You use your faith and you actually say, would you come with me to church? Or can I tell you something that's happened in my life that might change your life? 
The next, it happens in the financial realm, in the financial realm of your life. God's given us a principle. It's called tithing. And tithing, God says, I want you to take the first 10% of that which I blessed you with and give it back to me because I want to show you that you, when you trust in me and have faith in me, that you can actually live better on 90% than you can on 100%. And so God puts that test, that test of faith in your life and says, I'm going to challenge you to take a step of faith. Now, what is tithing about? Is tithing about your resources? No, it's about your faith. It's saying, I'm going to trust God, and so you take that step of faith. And it works in every realm. I don't know where it might be. It might be in serving in your life. Maybe, maybe God's calling you right now to say, it's time for you to step up and start serving in the church. Maybe it's because we're starting a new, new campuses. You could be a part of helping that. Maybe you felt insecure. Maybe God couldn't use me, but now you're going to say, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to step out. I'm going to do something. Maybe it's a role here in our church you're willing to step up for and say, I'm going to serve. I don't know what it is in your life. But I'm telling you this, you'll never grow your faith unless you use it. No matter where you are in your life, I'm using my faith right now. We're planning two new campuses. Do you think that requires some faith? It's stretching my faith at a level I haven't been stretched at in a long time. It's stretching me to another dimension of believing that God can do this. Okay? God's able to accomplish this, but how? I don't know. Okay? I can't figure it all out. I don't have all the answers, but all I know is that God says he, all things are possible with him. He's prompted us in this direction, and now we take steps of faith, and now then we'll step back later and see how God does what we could never have done. And that's how it works in your life. When you start using your faith, you see God do things, you'll walk on water. It might, might look differently than it did for Peter, but there'll be miracles that will happen in your life because God is a God of integrity. And he says, use your faith. So whatever your faith level is right now, just start using it. It'll get stronger. And when those muscles of faith cry out and say, quit, quit, I'm tired, you stretch them and see what God will do with you. Amen? Okay, I took seven minutes. I'm sorry. Okay, pray with me. Father, thank you today for this wonderful, wonderful thing called faith. Lord, we want to pack our bags with it. We want to make sure that we go through life journey with faith. And I pray today that in the teaching of your word, there would be the impartation of faith to the hearts of your people. That, Lord, there would be strength inside of us that says, God, we believe in your nature. We believe in your word. We believe in your integrity. We believe in your ability. We believe in your availability. And, God, I pray you'll help us to start using our faith, grow it stronger. Use us for the glory of God to help other people who are struggling with faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, 
I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me, and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash new beginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.